couldn't do it. So we're going to go ahead and dismiss the kids now. Uh, kids kindergarten through fifth grade, if you want to head out with Kim. And I think Waffle and Crimson are going there too. So, yeah. The, the downside is I didn't know that if I bought a, brought a dog with me today that that would be a real draw. Um, so you... But I could have. The only problem is our puppy is about 65 or 70 pounds, so it would have been, been a lot harder to carry her up here. Um, so anyway, uh, we really are grateful that we had the opportunity to have Waffle here and to share. Like, that's, that's why we pray for the missionaries that we have. And it's why we give. Like, when you all give to the general fund of the church, a portion of what we have goes to support those kinds of ministries. So Kim mentioned the over and above offering. That's something we do once a month to to sort of additionally support ministries. Uh, But if you want to give to support the work of the church, there's multiple ways to do that. You can do that online. You can mail a check-in. There's an offering box at the back, and you can put that up there as well. But just know that those are the kinds of stories that your generosity, your faithful giving allows to happen both here and around the world. Um, I'd also like to point out that Mary, uh, there on the front row who could have the tractor and break up the three, Mary's my mom. So she's here uh, in town visiting. She's also a pretty tough lady, so I wouldn't want to fight with her either. Um, it never, never went well for me when I did that growing up. Um, but you know, we were talking just this morning, so a, a story came to mind that kind of sets up this sermon. Um, you, you ever heard somebody tell you that life isn't fair? I mean, we all know that's true. I, I remember one of the times where that was pointed out to me. Uh, I grew up in South Carolina. Well, kinder, or no, sixth grade through high school, we were in South Carolina. And when we were in South Carolina, my mom would always take me to Shelley's to get my hair cut. Now, I hated that because Shelley was not a barber. Shelley was a hairdresser. And I was pretty sure the only guy who was ever at Shelley's place. So I would walk in, and this was like the old school South Carolina. There's like the row of those like weird machines with like the helmet things, right? So I would inevitably walk in, and there's this row of old southern ladies sitting there kind of getting their hair done, and then me, this 12-year-old boy. And I had very, very thick hair when I was younger. So I would sit down, and Shelley would always sort of do this to my hair. And then she would turn to the ladies and be like, ladies deal with it. He's got this beautiful thick hair that you all wish you had, but you don't because life ain't fair. (laughs) And then one time, and she always called me Han, which I always said, Han. At one point, she she says that, and then she leans and she whispers into my ear, and she's like, and it's not going to last for you either, Han. (laughs) (laughs) Life isn't fair, which unfortunately is proving to be quite true. Um, But here's the thing, like, we we all know that life isn't fair. We see that around us, right? You know, good people seem to fall back, like people who, who live their own way, like they're getting ahead, and you just look at them, and think, how does this work out? And, and, you know, people have asked that question for thousands of years, and I think it can be particularly challenging for people of faith when we see that, you know, life's not going the way we think it is, that God doesn't seem fair, because we, we start to wonder, how can this be? And if you've ever asked that question, you know, where is God in the midst of all this injustice? Why isn't he at work in my life in the way I thought? You are not the first person to ever ask that. Right? People have asked it for centuries. And in fact, one person that we've been studying, this Jewish man named Habakkuk, 2,600 years ago, he was asking those questions. And he did with those questions something that we often fail to do. He actually took them directly to God and really kind of got in God's face and said, you know, I'm, I'm not leaving until I get an answer. 
And God did answer those questions for him, and he actually took those answers and wrote them down, and we have them recorded in what we know as the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. So this morning, we're finishing up a sermon series where we're looking at Habakkuk, and to do that, we're going to focus on chapter 3. So I'd love to have you turn there with me in the Bible. Um, Little Old Testament prophets, they're kind of hard to find sometimes, so if it would help you for any reason, there's some red Bibles in those seats in front of you. You can grab one of those and turn to the page number that's there on the screen. But as you're turning there, let me, let me kind of get you up to speed on what we've seen in the first couple of chapters. So Habakkuk is living in the city of Jerusalem around the year 600 BC, and things are not going well. Like he looks around, there's this very corrupt king on the throne. And because stuff is corrupt at the top, that's trickling down. So there's violence. The rule of law is breaking down. You know, uh, the bad people seem to be getting ahead. The good people are getting behind. And this is a real problem for Habakkuk because he knows with his head that God is a God of justice. But what he knows about God with his head isn't matching up with what he's seeing with his eyes, with the reality around him. So he goes to God, and he's like, God, things aren't right. What are you going to do about this violence and injustice in the city? And God replies by saying, you know, Habakkuk, you're right. There is violence and injustice in the city. So I'm going to get the Babylonian Empire to come. They're going to surround the city. They're going to lay siege to it. Eventually, they'll conquer it, and they'll kill pretty much everybody in the city, including most of your friends and family. That'll take care of the violence. And yeah, exactly. I mean, that's kind of how Habakkuk replied. He's like, wait a minute. Like, if I thought God wasn't fair before, now it's like a thousand times worse. Like, how can you do this? How can you be bringing this on? But again, Habakkuk, his name means embrace or wrestle. It comes from a Hebrew word that can mean that. So he's not one to just let the question stand. So he he comes back to God. He's like, okay, well, God, what are you going to do then? Like, how are the righteous people going to live? And and what's going to happen to these, these evil Babylonians that you're bringing in? And one of the things that we see in Habakkuk in these repeated questions that he has to God, it's a lesson we've looked at every week. One of the things we learn from his life is that you can have honest questions and honest faith at the same time, right? You see him model that, right? He, he absolutely trusts in God's goodness, and he never loses his trust and faith in him. But he's got real questions for God about what he's doing and, what, and how he's going to work. So he brings those questions to God. He keeps doing it repeatedly, and he trusts that God is going to answer his questions. So in chapter 2, he answers the second question by saying, you know what, the righteous people are always going to live by putting their trust and faith in God, and one day the Babylonians are going to reap what they sow. So he does answer those questions for him, and that's what he tells them is going to happen. And so that brings us to the beginning of chapter 3. And if you've read the book so far, what you expect Habakkuk to respond with is a question, right? He asks a question, God responds. He asks another question, God responds. You expect him to have another question. But at this point, he doesn't have any more questions. He responds in a little bit different way than what you might anticipate. He actually responds with a song. And it's not just any song. That The content of the song, it's one of the most moving expressions of faith and trust in God that you will find anywhere in the Bible. So I want us to spend a little bit of time just looking at the the lyrics of that song, the content of this prayer that he sings. So the chapter starts out this way. There's just this one line that tells us what we're about to read. It says, this is a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigunov. It's funny, that that word's only used one other time in the entire Bible. It's in Psalm 7, and apparently it's some kind of musical term. Like it it tells the musicians, hey, here's this tune that you need to play as we're, we're, we're singing this all together. But it just shows us, this is, this is it's like a prayer of Habakkuk that, that's put in this musical form. It's a response to everything that God has told him in the first couple of chapters. And when you start, when you look at the very beginning of that song in, in verse 2, you actually get a verse that is a pretty good summary of the book of Habakkuk as a whole. The song begins this way. It says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. 
I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. Now, one of the things I think is really interesting about this, like you can look at this verse as this statement of real faith, or you can think about where this comes, right? Habakkuk, God has just told Habakkuk that he's going to destroy the entire city, right? Everybody he's ever known. And you can kind of see in here that there's some, some tension, right? Habakkuk has gotten a response from God that he doesn't necessarily like. And I think you see he's really struggling to accept the idea of what's going to happen. The Babylonians are going to destroy, destroy Jerusalem. Because if you look at it, look at what he says. He says, God, I've, I've heard of your fame, right? I stand in awe of those mighty deeds you did in the past. Like when you rescued us out of Egypt and didn't hurt us at all, but you hurt the Egyptians. How about you work like that again, Lord? Repeat those kind of deeds in our day. Like you don't have to bring the Babylonians and kill everybody. Why don't you rescue us in some other way? So it's interesting, like, there, I think even here there, there's a little bit of a struggle between what he's hearing and, and what he hopes that God will do. So keep that in mind as we work through the rest of the song, because you're going to see that by the time we get to the end of it, he has found a way to somehow make peace with this and somehow accept what it is that God is going to do. Again, it's, this, it's, this, it's another example of that honest questions, honest faith, right? He asks God a question. He gets the answer. He doesn't like the answer, but he doesn't just give up on God. He, he stays with him. He stays engaged. He keeps wrestling. And by the time you get to the end of the song, he is able to really declare his unconditional allegiance in God, whatever the personal consequences for him might be. So the question I think it's worth looking at is how does he get there, right? Well, what does he do over the course of this song that helps him move from this place where he's not fully resolved to where he's that committed to putting his trust in God? And I think what we'll see, there's a couple of very intentional decisions that he makes as we move through this that we can do today when we wrestle with questions as well. Um, So let's look at this. The first thing that he does is Habakkuk chooses to remember. He chooses to remember who God is, and he chooses to remember what God has done. And this is so important. Like when I used to work with high school students, I used to tell them all the time, look, if I had to summarize the entire Bible in one word, that word would be remember. Remember who God is, remember what God has done, remember what he promises to do, remember. And that's sort of Habakkuk is doing here. He's kind of walking through the story of the Old Testament, remembering. It starts out in verse 3. He says that God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Now for us, we read this line, and we have no idea where these places are. But these would have been familiar to the original audience. If you look on a map, you can see that Taman is actually in kind of southern Palestine, in the Paran wilderness. It's right there in the middle of the Sinai Peninsula. So basically, this place, the Sinai Peninsula, This is where God brought the people of Israel once he had rescued them from Egypt. This is where he gave the law to them. This is where he began to form and shape them as a people, to mold their identity. So he's saying, let's go back to where it started. God came. He he called us into a special relationship with him. And as you read through the next 10 or 11 verses in this chapter, you get this montage of different pictures, of different ways that God showed up to rescue and deliver the people of Israel. And it's interesting because God is described as this, this divine warrior. But instead, you know, human warriors, a human soldier goes out to battle, he needs a, a weapon, he needs a sword, he needs a spear, something like that. But God doesn't, right? God's the divine warrior who created the whole world so he can actually use the natural world himself as his tools, right? Just like he uh, rescued the people out of his slavery in Egypt in Exodus 14 and 15 by parting the sea. He's the God who has at his disposal all of these things. And as you read through the rest of the song, you you see this imagery starting to play out. He's describing these mighty deeds he's done in the past. 
It says, talking about God, His glory covered the heavens and His praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from His hand where His power was hidden. Plague went before Him. Pestilence followed His steps. He stood and the earth shook. Right? He looked and the nations trembled. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But He marches on forever. I saw the tents of cushion in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. And then he asked these questions. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? God's not angry with the rivers. It's this picture of how he's able to use the natural world as his weapons, as his tools to deliver his people. And the next stanza continues on. It's the same kinds of ideas. And, and I'm not sure that Habakkuk has any one particular historical event in mind. It, it's almost like he's just got this, this highlight reel of all these different times that God has acted coming together. So he says this, You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, right? Lightning. And lightning, your flashing spear. In wrath, you strode through the earth, and in anger, you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. And then you get to verse 13, and halfway through verse 13, there's this real subtle change, right? There's a verse that shows up in Hebrew that doesn't get translated most of the time in English. It's this little word, selah, or selah, and it indicates a pause, right? Like in a song, maybe you're moving to the second verse, or in a poem, you're you're changing topics. And he does kind of change topics here, because now he talks about this, this particular instance, and in it, he describes the why. Why is it that God is acting on behalf of his people? Why is it that God is trying to save them? So he says this. The scene is that there's a particular army that's coming to attack the people. And he says, you crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head. It's kind of graphic. But he does that when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. So the reason that God chose to act is there was this moment when the army is just about to destroy the people of Israel, right? They're just about, the the warriors are storming out to scatter us. They're gloating as though they're about to devour them, right? And basically, I, I think that this is something that is meant to encourage Habakkuk and the people that are reading his words. He's saying, look, this highlight reel, this montage of all these things God has done in the past, it's there to remind the readers about God's promise to take care of his people, eventually to fight for his people, right? This arrogant leader is not going to be able to fully destroy his people. God's going to put his spear through his own head. And think about the comfort that that must have been for the people who were hearing this for the first time, right? They've heard this very difficult message, right? The Babylonians are going to come and they're going to destroy the city. But God is going to remember his promises on their behalf. Like they may not understand why God is having this happen, but they do take comfort in the fact that, that God is going to ultimately make sure that the Babylonians don't win in the end, that they are not fully and finally destroyed as a people. Right? They can look at God's track record in the past and trust that he is not going to forget them. And until that day comes, when his deliverance comes, right, they can hold on to the memories of God's faithfulness as a way to sustain them in the present. So that's the first thing Habakkuk does. Right? He chooses to remember He remembers who God is and what God has done. And then that allows him to do the second thing, which is to really embrace what it is that God is doing in the present right now. 
And again, in that sense, Habakkuk's just living up to his name. His name can mean wrestle or to embrace. And Habakkuk eventually gets to this place where he can put his full trust and faith in God, uh, no matter the circumstances around him, which aren't good, which is why this next part starts off this way. He describes his physical condition this way. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. But he says, yet... I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us, right? Babylon is going to get theirs at some point. Though the fig tree doesn't bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no fruit, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Again, if you think about the book of Habakkuk as a whole, it, it hasn't been a particularly uplifting conversation with God, right? He, he's heard this very difficult news of what's going to happen. That's why his heart's pounding and decay has crept into his bones. But he doesn't let what he is feeling or facing in the present erase the past, right? He remembers who God is. He remembers what God has done, and he trusts that he will do it again. And, and again, then listen to what he says. And when he lists off all of these crops... What we need to keep in mind and remember is that like, these are the staple crops for the people of Israel. These are the crops and the food stuff that keep them alive as a nation. But he says, even if the fig tree doesn't bud and there are no grapes on the vines, even if the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, there's no livestock, right? There's no sheep in the pen or cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Habakkuk has gotten to the point where he chooses to trust in the one who provides even when there is absolutely no visible means of provision there. He trusts that God is going to provide even though everything he sees around him that might normally be what he would lean on for provision, that stuff is all gone. It is a remarkable expression of faith and trust. But it's only possible for him to have this remarkable expression of faith and trust because of the history that he has with God. Right, for Habakkuk, remembering what God has done is the foundation for embracing what God is doing in the moment. This, this statement of faith doesn't come from a vacuum. It's built on the history that he has with God. It, it comes out of the ongoing, interactive, life-giving relationship that he has with God. Right? Habakkuk's trust is based solely on the foundation of God's promises in his past actions. It is not based on his circumstances. And it is sure not based on his emotions. So what do we do with this? Right? How do we land the plane, not just on what we've talked about today, but what we've talked about in this series as a whole? Well, I have an exercise that I want to encourage you to do this week that will give you a chance to really kind of put some wheels on this in your own life. Um, you'll notice that um, in this, the bullet notes, right, there's some blank spaces there at the bottom. And what I want to encourage you to do is to take some time today, if you've got it, but as soon as you can, and really sit down and reflect back on your own life, right? your own history with God. And ask him to bring to mind, try to think about the times, where in your life have you seen God show up in your past? Right? Where has God provided for you when you seemed like there wasn't a means of provision? Right? Where has God come through with you? Where has God shown up to help or to rescue you or your family or somebody that you care about? Spend some time really thinking about that. Invite the Holy Spirit to help you with that. And then as those memories come to mind, write them down on that sheet of paper. Start, start a running list of the things that God has done in, in kind of your highlight reel in your life, in the montage of the images of how God has been faithful to you. 
And then if you can, if you've got somebody in your life you can share that with, I would encourage you to sit down and have a conversation with them. Will you just share with them, here are the things that I've seen. And then here's the important thing. What I want you to do is I want you to take that list and I want you to put it somewhere that you're going to see it on a regular basis. Uh, maybe you type it up on the computer or maybe you like hang it in your closet so every day when you're getting dressed in the morning you see that it's there because there is just no substitute for having a regular reminder of God's faithful actions for us in the past. When we do that, it, it builds our faith in the moment. We remember what he's done in the past and we can trust that he can show up in our life and do it again no matter the circumstances around us. So that's one activity that we can do to try to put some wheels to this idea of remembering. Um, but there's a second part, right? Habakkuk remembered, and then he chose to embrace what God was doing. And uh, personally, for me, I find the remembering thing to be a lot easier than the embracing thing. The remembering thing, like, God's done lots of good things. I can write it down. I don't even want to keep some blank lines on there because he's going to do some more in the future, and I'm going to add them. But embracing what we're going through in the moment can be a little bit harder because sometimes what God is doing in our lives isn't pleasant. Right? Sometimes it's, we don't want to embrace what he's doing. I mean, we absolutely believe that God can and does and will use everything that we go through to help shape us into the kind of people who look more and more like Jesus, right? Who, who are the kind of people who have a faith that can go the distance, who can put our trust in him no matter what. But that process is an instant, and it is not always pleasant. But it's something that we can choose to do, and when it comes right down to it, it's something that we can actively pray that God would help us do, even if we're not sure we can do it on our own in the moment. I, I think there's this wonderful story in the Gospels uh, where a father who has a sick child brings their child to Jesus so that Jesus would heal them. And Jesus talks to the father and says, do you believe that I can do this? And it is an amazing line. The dad looks at him and he says, I do believe. And then immediately he says, help my unbelief, right? It's like, I do believe and I want to believe, but sometimes I don't believe. And that's how I think a lot of us are with this idea of embracing. God, I want to embrace what you're doing, but I really don't want to. So will you help me to want to embrace what you're doing, even if humanly I don't want to do it? Here's the thing. As, as the pastor here, right, my, my hope is that all of us, all of us can get to the place where we have this Habakkuk 3 kind of trust and faith in God, where we will put our trust in God to provide even when the means of provision aren't anywhere around. But one of the things that I've discovered in my life and a lot of people have found to be true is that oftentimes you can't have a Habakkuk 3 kind of faith until you've wrestled with your Habakkuk chapter 1 kinds of questions. And maybe you've gone through a season of Habakkuk chapter 2 kind of waiting. Because the simple truth is that God uses the process of our questions and our wrestling to form us into the kind of people who have trust and faith in him that can go the distance no matter what. Right? God very often uses the difficult seasons, the difficult experiences in our life to help us, and we grow in those things spiritually so much more than in the mountaintop experiences. I mean, that is the experience that I've had. It's the experience that countless of Christians have had over the years. And in fact, one pastor, as I was preparing for this, was talking about that, and he described it in a way that was really, really helpful. He said this, he said, after 20 years, here's what I can say. I've walked with Jesus for enough yesterdays to trust him with all of my tomorrows. Right? And some of you guys are shaking your heads. And it's the older people who are shaking their heads. Right? I, guess I, I guess I've got enough gray. I can put myself in that group now a little bit. Right? It's because the longer you spend walking with God, the more experiences you have of his love, of his provision, of his faithfulness, the greater base you have to draw on when things are difficult. 
I have been through enough seasons of doubts and questions where I've seen God faithfully show up in those moments that when I face difficult things now, I have greater faith and confidence that he's going to do it again because he's done it in my life in the past. So the longer we walk with him, the more experiences we have that can give us what we need to trust and embrace him today and the next day and whatever those days might bring. So here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to end by singing, right? Figure, hey, Habakkuk ended his book with a song. It's probably good for us to end with a song, too. Um, so what we're going to do is I'm going to have Robert actually go ahead a couple of slides and put, the, put Habakkuk 3, verses 2 on there. So remember, this is that line that starts off his prayer that I said in some ways is a pretty good summary of the book as a whole. So what I want to invite you to do is to, to go ahead and stand with me. And we're going to begin, we're going to pray, and then we're going to move into this time of singing. The musicians are going to come out and get ready for that. Um, but we're going to begin this time of prayer by all of us praying this verse out loud together, just simply reading these, these words out loud as sort of a corporate prayer. And then once we've done that, I'll, I'll lead us in a brief prayer, and then we'll move into this time of singing. But just let's just trust that we can use these words that Habakkuk used to begin his response to God so many years ago as a way for us to respond to God today and what he's doing in our lives. So would you pray this verse out loud with me? Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God, we do just want to come to you today. Um, I don't know where everybody is today. There's a lot of people in this room. Um, so we invite you, Lord, to do what only you can do. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you speak to each human heart and mind that is here? Would you help us know what it means to remember who you are, to remember what you've done in, in our lives and in the lives of the people that we see recorded in the Bible, God? Would you help us think about stories of people like Moses and David and Mary? Would you remind us that you are the same God today that you were back then, that just as you worked in their life and showed yourself faithful, you can do that in our lives today no matter what we are facing. And God, if we are in a season that is difficult, we're in a season that is full of joy, would you help us to embrace where we are? And if we're not in a place where we can honestly do that, Lord, would, would you help our unembracing, just like you helped that father's unbelief? God, we want to get to the place where what we know of you impacts the way we live, even in difficult times. Would you give us your strength through the power of the Holy Spirit to truly do that today? Amen. Amen.